0: So we decided to catch up on a one game night before we get into talking about the Atlantic division at the trade deadline. And this game overshadowed a 110-107 Clippers victory, overshadowed by the loss for the season in all likelihood as it stands tonight of Dwight Powell for the Mavericks. Good for him that he was able to get paid before this happened. I'm glad to see that and while we've been kind of up and down on Powell's value here it's clear that he does provide a lot of value to the Mavericks he's the offensive rating when he is on the court is phenomenal due to his dive ability he's not that great defensively but I think it's clear that if they're going to get into the playoffs they're going to need another big that Carlisle feels comfortable relying on outside of Porzingis and Kleba because I think uh Marjanovic his limitations were shown again in this game even though he he did the best that he could so it's uh I think they're gonna be in the trade market for a dive man the pick and roll
1: yeah and it's worth noting I mean when you were it's Achilles injury and it's January right now those can take some real time and so at my first thought was well, they need somebody for this year, but it can be more of a rental. But the truth is, they might want to assume that this person, if they could get somebody who fits this bill, and it's not a requirement, that could be a significant part of the Mavericks next year. And... Powell, it's going to be hard to replicate exactly what he does, and I think that the Mavericks can go in a couple different directions with it, but a dive man would be best. Luca does really well with them. That's something that you've talked about many times before with players of his ilk that, that they can do well with dive men in particular, and they already have pick-and-pop in Kristaps in Porzingis. So that's disappointing. It's also very disappointing for Team Canada. Dwight Powell would have been an important part of their Olympic aspirations in the summer of 2020, and that's completely off the table, assuming the injury is what we expect it to be. And yeah, it sucks. Dallas, we haven't done their, uh, their trade deadline preview. The Southwest is one that is still yet to be done. Um, but they do have the remainder of the Harrison Barnes trade exception that could potentially be of use. Centers are in hefty supply and that could be could be a useful
0: tool. For yeah you. what what is that left like 11 million or about something? about 11 yeah 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 that that could be pretty useful now they're a little lower on assets going forward they don't have a ton of young players that are real sexy they've got two picks that they owe to the knicks in the future uh they do have that golden state second though you would imagine that that would go in there so i'm sure we'll probably talk more about tomorrow about how they may try to fill that hole at center but certainly they're they're not as threatening of an offensive team uh you know and you know maybe they don't get a dive man maybe they get someone who's going to be a little bit better of a defensive big maybe they could even try to just say Kleba is going to be the backup center only and we'll try to get one more guy who can play the 4 and start Porzingis at center that might be another direction that they could go but and for Paul at least you know he is getting that extension this is why you do an extension uh, when you you have a chance to and I don't think anyone else was beating down his door in free agency had he stayed healthy to pay him more than this so I was a little critical of the Mavs for doing that uh but you put the risk on the team and this is the risk of doing an extension for the team but why it's probably an underratedly good move for players a a lot of times so let's start with this game here what was the biggest thing that stood out to you uh, as we watched this one in the early going
1: it was how much Kawhi Leonard can affect a game without scoring, and then he scored. He ended up scoring 36 points, and he does get away with a lot on both ends of the floor with a lot of kind of pushing and shoving because he is so damn strong. And refs just don't always call that, especially if they don't see it. But I mean, there was this one play that I I, I was just blown away by where he blocked. I believe it was Dorian Finney-Smith on a three where it was kind of hard to see him coming, and then chugs down the floor and gets a gets an and-one dunk where he also hit. Luca in the face and that combination of plays blocking a three getting a dunk through contact is just something most people can't do and so even in the absence of Paul George in some ways you could say even even accentuated by it Leonard's defensive profile I thought was really impressive
0: yeah you know it's interesting Kawhi didn't do a ton of playmaking in this game he did affect the game more defensively, as you said. The contrast of styles between he and Luca and Luca is pick and roll, driving a lot of efficient offense, setting up teammates for threes. Very much the modern player, the modern game, almost never shoots for mid-range. Certainly he might take a floater, but he's definitely not going to take just a normal mid-range jumper almost ever. And Kawhi, it's work to my spots and yeah you know what it may not be have the absolute same top end efficiency although if he had made his threes his night would have looked a lot better he was only one and nine there and some pretty good looks but it's probably in the end harder to stop than what Luca is doing ultimately um which and then you throw in his defensive contributions which you know I think it it was encouraging to see him getting the primary assignment on Luca for parts of the game even though the Mavs smartly would immediately just set a screen with a small to get someone else switched on to Luka uh, it was good to see Kawhi feeling good enough to take on that challenge for parts of the game here
1: yeah and part of the appeal of the George Leonard combination was that each of them could take some of the burden off of the other and I mean for a that wasn't necessarily the case in this one. And remember that the Clippers play on a back to back. These, these only, some of the only teams that didn't play on MLK, they're playing again on Wednesday. So I, I don't know if maybe Quad did that so that he, you know, he's not going to play on the second of the back to back, something like that. Wanted to take on more of the workload. Um, I thought Luca. He had some really nice moments. I'm sure. Do you, I, I? don't know if you want to do a blow by blow at the end of this game, but I thought that the I think it was the penultimate possession was another reminder of of why Luca is special. And there were parallels. My former editor Adi Joseph brought this up. That Luca, you know, he got the off that offensive rebound. He got the ball at the top of the key, and he could have taken the shot. It would have been a tough one. There was there was a Clipper closing out to him. Instead, he passed it to Tim Hardaway Jr. It was the correct decision. Hardaway had a cleaner look and was from kind of at the break and it didn't go in. And so Adi compared it to LeBron that LeBron early in his career, he did that a lot where he deferred to teammates, gave them good looks, which many times they didn't convert. And it was the right play. It was the right read and it didn't work out, but it still reminded me that Luca seeing that pass and realizing that it was the right play is something a lot of guys don't do. And a lot of guys who are way worse than him don't do.
0: Yeah, I thought he was actually more open than you did, but uh, he, he to me, was, Hardaway was is shooting few better than behind him. the
1: line. That was the biggest thing for me, was that yeah. he wasn't close.
0: Yeah, and Hardaway was ready to shoot. He's a great catch-and-shoot guy this year. Uh, it ended up 3 of 7 from 3 in this game, although it seemed like he missed a, a bunch of big ones, including that one that could have tied it. Uh, then in the end, after Jamichael Green missed a couple of free throws, he he overall had a pretty rough game, I thought. Uh, they bring it back, and Doc Rivers is a big proponent of, of fouling up to, I can't recall it ever actually burning him. So Shamit did a great job, ran the time down as much as he could fouled before Luca could get into a shot and Luca he'll have these games from the foul. line. he had a two for 10 earlier this year. He had some ugly games last year. He was nine of 14 in this one, uh, although the last one was missed intentionally, but an underrated part of that fouling strategy is the chance that they might just miss the first one and then they'll really be in trouble. Uh, that you won't even get the chance to try the intentional miss and go back up with it too and Kawhi was able to get the rebound off the intentional miss by Luka on the second one so that that was uh but yeah any Doc Rivers game watch for that he's always gonna try to commit that foul so uh and he's got players that he trusts to do that other big theme to me was how powerful this team can be with Landry Shamet getting a lot of minutes. I'm guessing 36 minutes was his season high. 18 points was his season high. He did it on nine shooting possessions, five of eight from three, and had hit three free throws uh, on a three shot foul. It was very impressive work for him. He even guarded Luka, I thought, to some acclaim um, and was able to stay out there defensively. He's had a, a few games where he's gotten some fouls and Yeah, Paul George didn't play in this one with the hamstring. Patrick Beverly had to depart after the first half uh, with more trouble with that bulky right groin. But he is just so powerful a weapon to be really a true, absolutely cannot leave him knockdown shooter.
1: A big part of why I've seen him as a potential part of Clippers closing fives, depending on how things work out, just because that element can sometimes be more important if you have other things figured out. And considering the other weapons they have on the roster, I think they might be needing what he brings to the table
0: more than some of the other guys who are higher usage. Another takeaway for me is just with no George, Beverly only playing half the game, that the Clippers really are playing a lot of guys who just aren't going to be in their playoff rotation. I mean, it's very interesting to me that Harkless only played nine minutes. It, it seems like Doc is not trusting him lately that much. Uh, Jamichael Green played a lot more. I He, he struggled a little bit with Luca, but I think he can be in a playoff rotation. Jerome Robinson played 15 minutes and was negative nine. Rodney McGruder mentioned he's had a, a pretty rough year. He was negative 20 in 21 minutes. I don't think he played especially poorly but he's not a guy who teams are really guarding that much Robinson just loves to drive into three guys uh, and try to force up a shot he had one play that was just a complete no hope or against Porzingis for example so they get Paul George back and they get one more player that they have the ammo to get as we talked about a couple of days ago and they're gonna look a lot more formal and hey you know what I still thought they were significantly the better team tonight in a lot of ways. So. uh including on the offensive glass, is a, a major problem for Dallas. So I, I still absolutely zero trepidation right now about the Clippers. They got Kawhi Leonard. He's been on an absolute tear. He already set his career high for 30-point games uh, at 36 tonight. And as long as he's going to be playing at this level when it's important, they're going to be right there at the end. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since twenty. 20- 15 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and now helix offers 20 unique matches Every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes that you came from us. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? (laughs) That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling.
1: I will say that while you're right that we saw some of Boban's limitations in this game, I do think that there is a greater role possible for him, especially in the regular season. Oh, sure. He's so damn big, and I, I think... It's, there's actually a weird parallel with Ben Simmons here that his imperfections sometimes because they're so glaring they mask all the other things that he does well. And with Boban, he can he has good touch around the basket, he can be impactful even though he's not particularly mobile as a defensive player and he's just a lot to contend with. And and I, I do think that like Doc Rivers last year, like various coaches over the last few years, I mean even going all the way back to Pop you have to pick your spots really well with Boban, but I've been of the belief forever, basically, that he there are more spots that he can be used in. And not every team is, is, is going to be as challenging as the Clippers are for various reasons. And so especially in the regular season, I hope they lean on him more.
0: Yeah, it'd be really interesting uh, that if he's on the scouting report, teams might try to jigger their rotation so that they have their quick pick and roll point guard going up against him or a a stretch five in those situations it gets tough and it's funny Boban you think oh well he'll get it back on the offensive end but Dallas is almost is already so good offensively there's not that much more that he can do to help which is uh, an interesting way to look at it I'm not sure whether that's uh, true or not um what else you got on this one anything I, I had a few more notes
1: you talked about players that Doc Rivers is going to have to trust in figuring out the rotation. What did you think about Jermichael Green?
0: Yeah, he did struggle. I mean, they they were content to switch him onto Luca, and he did struggle to keep him in front. He was—a lot of those plays when he really got going at the end of the third were— with jermichael green and luca even got to the point where he just waved everyone away and just wanted to iso on him uh was able to get to the basket this is a, a thought i had too after seeing luca for the second time this season against the warriors in not oakland but san francisco the warriors played him in a very extreme way they kind of like to do that with certain players derrick rose they would do it Kyrie rose they would try to force right Kyrie, they would always try and force left they were going to try and force luca extreme right and i think the idea was i haven't had a chance of asking them about it yet was to keep him off of the step back and which he's much more comfortable shooting to his left but you can't just give him a straight drive to his right because he's got such a big body he's going to be so under control that and he's such a good passer that you can't get help at the rim in a traditional way when he's driving because he can kind of shoot like a half layup half floater that he's extremely accurate on that you can't necessarily like get over there get a verticality contest Uh, where he's jumping into your body because he's so under control or also because he's so under control. If you really get over there to try and get your, your chest in front of him, then he's going to be able to make a play either passing to the backside or hitting the big for an alley-oop. So I think giving him that penetration to his right, to me, that's where he's absolutely at his most dangerous. He's not shooting an incredible percentage on three. To me, I'm going to live and die with his step back. This is not the James Harden step back to me yet ideally i think you would even want to force him to drive left because he doesn't really have much of a left hand finishing and you know you're not going to be quite as good of a passer going left he's you know he's not as unidirectional as far as his passing as james harden is uh he can pass with his left hand but it's still not going to be quite as good uh and i don't think his floater is quite as good going left either so that that's probably how i would try to play him in an iso obviously it's easier said and done because when they space the floor, I mean, he just, he's incredible. The amount of stops and starts that he'll do, his probing, his handle for his size, he'll go between the legs, he'll go between the legs again. But it's not just like standing there between the legs. It's go one direction between the legs, go back the other direction, stop and start, hesitate. But I think the reason a lot of guys get beat is that they are worried about the step back. And that's how he really uses that to set up his penetration more than the penetration to set up the step back. So... Again, this is all easier said than done, but I think if you get into a playoff setting, I would say, hey, you know what? Like, we're going to make you hit a bunch of step backs before we're going to adjust our defense.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point and also a reminder of just how much we learn about players once they get into the postseason, and Luka's going to change a lot. This is his age 20 year. You know, he'll be his age 24 year, he'll be adding wrinkles just like LeBron did and so many other talented players. But those stressors don't really come in unless you're playing great teams, and they don't come in unless you're playing great teams that have scouted you and thought about you a lot. And that usually doesn't come until the postseason. So what teams choose to take away? with all some of these young developing guys is is going to be a huge storyline and I think Luca is the most prominent considering he you know he's the next Giannis in terms of young player at that MVP caliber and now he gets to go through the cauldron. What
0: would you think of Porzingis? He made his return finally from that injury absence um it did struggle 10 points, 4 of 17, and 1 of 8 from 3.
1: Well, the thing that I noticed most was I thought the Mavericks played better in crunch time when he wasn't on the floor. And they brought him in, I think I think he was at the scores table for a little bit, but then there wasn't a stoppage. And then Carlisle brought him in around the 230 mark. And that wasn't the reason things fell apart a little bit for them, but it just felt like the, the offense had a little bit less. And the de- de- defensively, I still like Porzingis' tools, but you know he's getting back in the swing of things. And I, I didn't see anything that made me concerned for the long term but you know when you're throwing a player into a game against the Clippers or any other elite team anything less than 100 percent becomes a much much bigger challenge so I I just thought he wasn't quite right took a lot of shots and I didn't love that but nothing nothing like macro concerning
0: no I thought actually physically he looked pretty good to me um and he played 27 minutes seemed like that was kind of the limit for him it was just a lot of stuff that we already know about Porzingis. Number one, he was awesome protecting the rim. Clippers shot 9 out of 25 at the rim. Zubac was 2 of 8. He's usually one of the better finishers in the league. He really struggled with some of Porzingis' length. Now, of course, part of the reason they shot so poorly was a lot of tips on the offensive glass, and Porzingis really struggles on the defensive glass. We know that Kleba is not amazing on the defensive glass either, Uh and Clipper, I mean, Montrezl Harrell and that second jump were just playing volleyball uh, on the offensive backboards. There's a play late where Jermichael Green goes up between Boban and Porzingis and just beats both of them to the ball. I mean, Porzingis, I thought he boxed out a little bit early on, but overall he just you know again doesn't get a box out doesn't react to the ball one time he did get his hands on the ball he just got it taken away by Kawhi Leonard when they're lucky that the ball went out of bounds off the Clippers in the last minute or so Uh, so he struggles there and then spacing the floor makes things a lot easier even when he's one for eight they're always going to guard him out there but whenever he puts the ball on the floor generally bad things end up happening he had the most obvious charge in NBA history going into Harrell uh, as he tried to put it on the floor he tries to go left most of the time he can't get by anyone he doesn't it just he can't create a good shot in those situations and so um you know he's uh basically a two-dimensional player shoot and block shots and protect the rim but those two dimensions uh, are very very important
1: yeah and that reminded me of feels like eons ago i wrote a piece for real gm about I was trying to figure out comps for Porzingis, and it was, you know, what I and what I tried to do with those is distill, like the essence of a player, and what I got to, at, at an extent, was those two things. And it's just like, well, shit, there aren't that many guys who do both of them, so it is worth noting that even if the flaws, and I mean, you see it, you see it on Twitter and everything during Mavs games from their fans and other people, like, of why can't he do X, Y, or Z? Well, that's true, and and some of those maybe he can do with time, but. The the dimensions that he adds to Dallas's offense, I mean, I, it looked to me like the driving lanes were cleaner when he was on the floor than they bend a lot in his absence, and I thought a lot of guys benefited from that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the next step offensively for him is just if they pass you the ball at the three-point line and you don't have the shot, just move it immediately. Don't try this drive, get cut off. Now you have to pick up your dribble 19 feet from the hoop with a bunch of pressure. They start denying everyone else. Um, you know, I think it's got to be more of a Channing Fry style of game for him. Uh, although, you know, he's even as a higher release than Fry, he's more mobile. Um, guarding Kawhi, they did go to Kleba on him some late. Kleba, it's hard, a little harder for him to get over a screen, but he has pretty good size, traditional power forward size. But Kawhi still is able to get the shoulder into him and create space for a pretty good look in the midrange. Dorian Finney-Smith has absolutely no chance against Kawhi. From a strength standpoint, although, uh, then if Tim Hardwood gets switched onto him, then there's really no chance. I actually thought Luca, the one time he got switched onto him, did semi-okay. I mean, not that I would advocate going for that. Uh, Rick Carlisle, second half, starts JJ Berea with Powell out, plays him the first eight minutes. I think Berea, you know, he's a limited player. He's in his thirties. He's coming off his Achilles hair didn't come back in after that first stint in the second. But he really does give them a little more offensive pace in the half court where just more driving, more moving the ball, more movement overall, just more kind of a passing attacking ethos, uh, which I think helps them. And I believe this was the case that the Mavericks ran some version of a Spain pick and roll. For those who don't remember what that is, it's basically a pick and roll, usually Luca handling the ball, And then a shooter sets a back screen or pretends to set a back screen on the roll man's guy. And so what that means is if the the shooter's man doesn't help on the roll man's guy, then that guy just goes and gets a dunk. If he does help, then you can pop back out to three and be wide open because there's still got to be help at the rim on the driver. And so it's a very difficult set to handle. Uh, but i've never seen the team run it this many times in a row as almost a base set but maybe more teams should run it maybe when you just run a pick and roll at the end of the clock your base should be put that shooter right there at the free throw line and have him set that screen add a diff uh additional degree of complexity to guard and the clippers struggled to guard that so it was uh they finally went away from i don't recall them actually running a single one after that either which was odd but uh i've never i can't recall a team going to the same play for six straight minutes like that before and there were different options of it. They were trying. It was different guys. Sure. There, there are some variation, but same basic thing. I think pretty much every time they're in the half court during that period. One
1: more stray thought: I feel like Delon Wright is going to have a key moment in a playoff series as soon as this year, and it's probably going to be on the defensive end. I just, I, yeah. I do really enjoy the way he gets into it there and can make can pull out a play everyone's well. He only played twelve minutes, but I always seem to note his his activity at a steal in this one as well
0: couple other notes i did enjoy sean marion's guest appearance he and greg anthony were actually talking about how it's harder to guard guys now which is absolutely correct but a lot of the uh, old guys don't want to admit that just because of the extra spacing and how much more space you have to guard at the three-point line and, and run around uh dory and vinnie smith had a wonderful drive on the baseline on harrell and then dropped off a, a dunk for Kleba uh, that got them back within three uh, in the last couple of minutes and Seth had a point about Finney Smith that, you know, even five years ago for a fifth option to be able to make that kind of a read uh, off a drive on a closeout it was not very common. And it just got me thinking back historically a little bit. Back in the 60s and 70s, you didn't necessarily have guys who were as big a specialist. You didn't have, you know, the specialist power forward as came into vogue in the 80s and 90s, who's kind of more of a bruiser rebounding. You, know, you just had two forwards and it, you could kind of uh, run a bunch of guys off a of, screens at the elbows and guys would take it mid-rangers and so there was a little bit more egalitarianism back in the 70s and maybe even the the early 80s and then in the 90s you really started seeing more special specialization with one guy in offense one guy on defense for example who you ran stuff through on the iso and then you had to have a guy who could guard that guy in the iso and we've continued to see for a lot of these teams where you've got this heliocentrism including dallas but dallas at least uh, we are working now on those guys being able to make decisions with the ball even if there's going to be the high usage rate for on a team like dallas there's just more working on game situations making reads than there was you know in the last 10 years i thought that was a great point by seth all right let's take care of a couple things here and then we'll talk atlantic division here at the trade down a lot of interesting teams there with philly toronto and boston in particular I'm here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tucks from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because Cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAP Space. These are our CAP Space. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I N D O I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, C H I N O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAP Space code to let them know that you came from us. Let's talk a little Atlantic division now, the fifth of our six divisions, and some pretty interesting teams in this one. Maybe three of the four best teams in the Eastern Conference, all of whom you would think have some impetus to try and fill some holes here at the deadline Danny where'd you like to start
1: let's start with the sixers they are 4.2 million below the tax they don't really have any available exceptions so they could you know they could trade players they could get guys for the minimum that sort of thing I would say that their motivation is to build the best possible team this season and while the sixers do technically have a an extra potential first for OKc the Thunder have to finish with one of the 10 best records and even though it looks like now they're going to make the playoffs. They presumably will not do that with one of the 10 best, so that'll become seconds. Instead, the Sixers owe their own first round pick to the Brooklyn Nets, and fortunately they have almost all their seconds and a bunch of extras, including some real premium ones, Atlanta and the Knicks in 2020, most notable among those. So I I think the challenge for Elton Brand is... They don't really have great filler salary. We talked in the Pacific one about the difference between the Clippers and the Lakers, and the Sixers definitely more that Lakers brand where it's trying to cobble things together. But they could theoretically make things interesting, including somebody like Zaire Smith, should the potential trade target be worth it.
0: Yeah, it seems like Mike Scott would have to be the other part of any deal. In terms of matching salary, if they were to combine Scott and Zaire Smith, that gets you up to 7.8 million in salary. So you can get pretty close to 13 million there, 12.9 million, uh, with the trade matching rules so that's uh, something to keep in mind they also have a couple of pure minimum guys that they could add to that uh and then they could take back such a player from another team in theory but then you know once you get to a three person trade starts to get a little bit more complicated also i i think that there's probably nobody on the market that this guy would be worth surrendering but Matisse Seibel certainly has looked awesome so far and you know I mean clearly the Sixers really liked him there's the whole thing at the draft where the Celtics extracted a price for the Sixers to move up but Seibel certainly has been worth that price also doesn't necessarily seem anybody out there that'd be worth moving Josh Richardson or Tobias Harris or al horford for and i mean it just seems like this team this is their first year together they're not going to move any of the major pieces maybe that happens again in the summertime also worth noting that ben simmons really can't be traded uh and he's also playing extremely well played probably had the best game of his career last night against brooklyn a team that he is poised to dominate due to their lack of, of wing size And also uh, only having one real center available. But in any event, I don't foresee any major changes among that starting five group so we're back to scott and smith smith seems totally superfluous he's been in the g league pretty much all year hasn't looked great but maybe there's a team that has some interest in him um, obviously he suffered with that allergy issue last year so it's, it's gonna it's taking him a while to get back up to speed um you know james ennis can block a trade that's also worth noting what do they need
1: i would like to see a more reliable pick and roll ball handler that you know pro- you're probably not going to use that guy a ton with simmons but maybe it could be good enough when they stagger Simmons and Embiid to run some run some stuff. They could try to use Neto or Burke there. I'd like a little bit of an upgrade. Another shooter would be nice. I mean, I'm still lamenting the lack of a Redick Shamit on this team. And the other one, I, I let I really like Josh Richardson overall as a defensive player. I mean, this team has just that monstrous potential, and they've shown it from time to time. But I I think if they could get it, somebody who can defend speedy guards, that would be something. I like Richardson a little bit better on another type of point guard but that real water bug type guy they don't really have the right defender for that group and if that's going to be their identity there are a few of those guys around the league so it'd be good to have one other option but maybe that option is just it's entirely possible
0: yeah and i think richardson is they're not going to take him out of the starting lineup I think oh right right this really would be good just good for job.
1: spot minutes that type of thing yeah. it'd be more just just hey you could throw five ten minutes on this player
0: yeah yeah i mean i think trey, trey burke whole are probably liabilities to, in that regard you know if you're going up against a boston someone off your bench is going to need to take kemba walker for example um so they've got all these seconds as you mentioned they've got every first going forward except this year's they have uh the okc first that's going to become likely seconds in the future i mean they, they have more seconds frankly than they probably know what to do with on the team although it's not like they have a bunch of guys here outside of that core five and they're going to need some keep, cheap contributors so sometimes those can be found in the second round it's not like those picks especially early in the second round are worthless to them but they probably have more of those that they can use but the the question this is something that rich hoffman and derek bodner brought up on their excellent sixers beat podcast uh, both those guys we've had uh, on uh, as guests recently you on real gm radio but how much are you really giving up when it seems like your closing five is probably set you are giving up someone ultimately who is probably not going to be closing games for you i don't know that that player exists on the market
1: more than that i don't think you're getting somebody who's in your top six because it looks like theibel if he's healthy can be you know he could have some playoff struggles Early on, just learning everything, but I mean, consider Gauhanzi is actually Thibault could benefit from the refs not calling as many fouls. That could actually be potentially notable with him. And also remember that the Sixers are about to enter the tax for probably a while, and those cost-controlled picks could actually be really important for them because right. if those guys help, then having having cheap player, if you have to fill every spot with a veteran's minimum instead of those really really cheap guys, it can that can really ratchet up your tax bill. And while yeah. they've been but, cheap, and you might
0: long get time. someone better than a veteran, absolutely,
1: you, you could. And, and numerous teams are looking at that, so yeah. I, I don't know like who, who the market's gonna tap out. And the big problem for the Sixers, like, I would be more aggressive about using those seconds if they had matching salary. And you brought up Mike Scott, and one of the other challenges there is Scott has two fully guaranteed seasons and five million, including for him.
0: including this one, obviously.
1: yes, so include as does know, Smith, as does Smith. So, like, I mean, there could be teams who. Are totally cool with paying Max Scott $5 million next year, but the Sixers could be one of them, and so it's it's not as easy of a deal. If they had a Mo Harkless type of situation where they could do that in a second and get get a player who they think is a better fit, it would be great, but the Sixers do not have those players. So as you brought up with, and this is something Bader and I talked about at length on Real Gym Radio, was that his theory is that Horford is the odd man out, but you cannot make that trade this year unless it's just such a no-brainer, and I don't see any team identifying Horford as their piece and giving the Sixers what they need so that trade could happen in the summer when teams have cap space when there's more flexibility but yeah it's I don't think anything with their starting five closing five is happening this year
0: now let's let's talk about it though anyway some of the the premium guys i mean they do need more shot creation i i agree with you there you know upgrade a backup point guard someone gets in foul trouble you could even bring someone in for an offensive possession late in games to run a pick and roll you know i mean josh richardson is their best pick and roll player right now uh the three guys that i i would identify as a premium creator our old friend bogdan bogdanovich we talked a little bit about what philly might give up for them yesterday in our king section so uh, don't want to rehash that too much Derek rose is a very logical fit does have the seven million for next year but they could use him he's still uh you know as a six-man type at seven million that's not bad if they're able to trade scott and smith for him that wouldn't really negatively impact their luxury tax situation for next year um and then alec burks who's played extremely at 33 last night in a national showcase game for the warriors uh, averaging 16 a game pretty decent efficiency uh his defense has been acceptable so he's he's more of the level of player you think they might need uh and gives you a little bit more size i mean he's not a point guard but he is someone who can create a little bit more you know he's a little bit more of kind of a mid-range creator not the greatest finisher or passer but it, you know you're thinking rose bogdanovich probably other teams would be willing to beat their offer just because those guys would play a larger role on some of these teams um also reporting that the lakers and clippers are were checking in on rose from chris haynes um um so i think with rose i'd be very interested in him it's just a question of what the price is what you're gonna have to get to to beat other teams but i you know i would throw in a couple of these seconds that they have for derrick rose um or maybe even you could do a situation where you top 20 protect one of your later first round picks. Uh, the first one that they could trade would be... Well, you could
1: do first allowable draft and it'd probably convey as early as 22.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, almost certainly 22, maybe even in... uh, Well, yeah, I guess 21 it wouldn't um because they have some uncertainty as to whether they would have the OKC pick or not for this year, Um, and that's probably not going to convey. So... Yeah, I think – and then you could convert that into two seconds after one year because they have some pretty good seconds as well. So is that enough to get it done for Rose? That that would be very interesting. Uh, probably beats the Lakers' offer, you would think, uh, because the Lakers – aren't going to put kuzma in a rose deal most likely and then they don't really have anything else that they can trade so maybe that does end up being a, the best offer for derrick rose and burke certainly they have plenty of firepower i'm sure he would be readily available for any of those cadre of second round i think even you know the knicks picks is probably too much you know you're probably looking more at a pick in the 40s uh, for alec what where he's been historically so that that's that perimeter creator need uh and and burks to me fits in you know i think he could be an upgrade for them uh, on you know james ennis hasn't been playing that well scott hasn't been playing that well the other nice thing about burks is you could get him and you could try to get someone else as well because he's just a minimum contract you can take him in you don't have to worry about the matching salary so i i think burks and philly are a pretty good fit and you know if he doesn't work out who cares You didn't give that give up that much for him so um the other thing you would think is you know an upgrade upgrade at the backup combo forward positions over Ennis and Scott
1: if they could pull it off that'd be great but those players are exceedingly hard to get
0: maybe so um you know they don't have like this would be a perfect team if they just had enough matching salary for Marvin Williams he would really help them I think you know he would be a massive upgrade on Scott defensively I think he actually shoots it a little bit more reliably if not quite as much of a volume guy but they really i don't see how they can get there to match the salary i mean i i think it would be tough they might have to get you know maybe if they did smith and scott williams makes 15 million so they'd have to get to just over 10 million
1: i mean they could also just hope that he gets bought out but there would yeah. be a lot there would be other yeah. suitors so but that the, yeah
0: and suitors. there's other suitors with more ammo from a, a playing time and probably a, a money standpoint also but yeah, that's kind of, it'd be kind of too bad uh, uh, there. Another one, old Sixers target, uh, Nemanja Bialica might be an interesting one for them to go after. Robert Covington, I think the price is too high there for a guy who's not going to start for you. It's potentially the same for Bialica as well. One that I, I, I thought actually that either of the Nuggets guys, uh, but Beasley or Hernan Gomez, would be solid targets for them. Again, that with all these second rounders that they have, but those guys could hopefully be squeezed and restricted free agency and get him back as a contributor in the long term you know as a sixth or seventh man um you know Hernan Gomez I think depends how he would play on whether he would be an upgrade on Scott and I think he could be better defensively than him shooting eh you know bo- both guys kind of run hot and cold uh Wancho maybe a little bit better on the board but you know it gives them another option there well uh, and
1: for the Nuggets yeah. Hernan Gomez isn't a part of their rotation and one of those one of the more premium seconds would be an actual tool for them to improve especially if the Luxury tax is a harder line than maybe it should be
0: reggie bullock is someone i also think they would really seriously think about um although i kind of like the younger guys because again this is a relatively small role you know you're looking for just someone who can be in a playoff rotation old friend jj reddick uh, you know, but it looks like really the pals are not necessarily going to make him available. You would have probably even a future first rounder. You know, when I was talking with Hollinger about that. He said, you, you probably have to listen if it's a free future first rounder, but Philly projects to be pretty good for a while here. So the, I don't know how valuable that is. Would you have
1: any interest in Jay Crowder? Because you would get bird rights theoretically on him. That becomes really sure. expensive, but I, I could imagine him being a help.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, I absolutely. But that's a, another one where Memphis, the way they're playing right now, probably wants to hold on to him. Um, um, how about this one, Danny? Davis Bertan.
1: You and I both big fans. My concern there—they've there, got
0: the mo to get him. I think
1: they do. I, I think, and especially because getting to that level of filler salary isn't that bad. Because the league trade rules, this is worth remembering. The league trade rules are so much more lax for mid-salary guys and low-salary guys than they are for higher guys. So yeah, I think they could yeah. they could make that work. And those seconds, I mean, to Washington, they they do have some value. And I don't uh, I mean, know how
0: much how much would you be willing to give up for Berton?
1: He's probably still not a part of their closing five. I would definitely give up at least one of those premium seconds. The three, the oh, three. You,
0: you, well, you got to go higher than that. Yeah. You, you'd I, have to go a future first and one of those seconds. I think to even get in the door.
1: I think if that's the price, then I wouldn't do it for somebody who's not a part of your closing five or your starting five and is an unrestricted free agent you yeah. might want something different than what you can offer. Now, if you got yeah. some sort of Intel from Bertons and his agent that he would be willing to reset signed at a price that you're, that you're amenable to then maybe you start to throw those things in but i don't think he's a cure-all for them so no, no. i don't i wouldn't go that high
0: but buddy i mean he i mean you remember he would too, help how much- a lot though yeah I mean you remember how much they stagger and Bertanz isn't the greatest defensively well on this team they've got plenty of guys uh, to help pick up the slack for him um and I mean when you look at these lineups when Embiid is off the floor or your second unit when Embiid is starting the second quarter and Simmons is out and I mean they just don't have that one absolute wetter to get out there I mean you could even see him playing over Horford frankly sometimes at the end of games we'll see a uh you know he's a better fit and uh, another thing about him is if you wanted to resign him yeah you know what it might not work for your salary structure but what if you wanted to move one of these other guys uh then maybe it does make sense to resign in terms of their tax situation for next year i think it's uh, we should probably just get an idea of you know most of these teams aren't going to go more than 15 million in real dollars which you know it'd be a pretty substantial tax payment that's a little bit over a 25 million dollar tax payment as well but you know for most of these teams that aren't just crazy rich which the sixers aren't it seems you know 15 million over the tax kind of consider that a de facto hard cap so let's say they were to move scott and smith in this deal next year they'd be starting off basically right at the tax with all of their salary commitments and they would have only seven players under contract so consider that now you got to get eight more guys on the team essentially that's almost getting you pretty close to that 15 million right there uh so that's a that's a little scary uh and you know they would have some of their mid-level they would have the full bird rights on Berton so yeah it's probably if I think about it it's probably not realistic to bring someone like Berton's back and if he's just a rental yeah it does make it a little bit less appealing or they would have to make some sort of a move where they move Horford and take back a guy who's making maybe you know five or six million less Uh, I mean and to me Berton's is gonna be you know a 15 million dollar player next year you would think so that's uh yeah maybe Berton's isn't going to work out because if he's only a rental for this year they can't offer enough to entice washington anything else you want to talk about on these guys um i mean i guess there's always the buyout candidates to discuss as well
1: yeah but i think i think we can save that because we'll have we'll talk about
0: the buyout market when we see who's left yeah
1: Yeah, exactly uh so let's go to boston boston they have a different sort of asset base which is really compelling but the challenge for them is matching salary to have it as the baseline here the celtics are 13.5 million below the tax they don't really have available exceptions and what they have in terms of assets they have all their own firsts plus they have memphis's first which will be in 2020 if that pick is seventh or worse so 7 to 30. Otherwise, it's unprotected in 21. They also have Milwaukee's 2020 pick, which is technically protected, but it will fall. You know, they they will get it this year. And they have Brooklyn's twenty twenty second. And then Boston has a bunch of other kind of like less premium assets moving forward, but we need one to focus there. And they have, you know, young players that could have interest, whether we're talking Romeo Lankford or Grant Williams, who they drafted this past year, along with Carson Edwards, or if they wanted to move Ojale, Robert Williams, from who are holdover players, they could do that. But then what I brought up is the challenge just matching salary because Boston, maybe more so than any other team that's looking to add, the players that make money on the Celtics are players they want to keep.
0: Yeah, it, it seems that way. So really you're going to be targeting here and I'll, you got your motivations in the document that we shared beforehand. Improve at center. If possible, I agree. I mean, to really get a defender who, uh, is going to be a problem defending the rim would, would be great. Uh, you're saying a potential piece of the closing five would probably be a center. Um, I would add to that, that just rotation players on the wing. You yeah, I mean, they really have five guys in those four spots. And then you're down to your Wanamaker, your Grant Williams, your Semi Ojale, who who's been getting more of the time lately. It looks like defensively, he's probably the most important of that group because they need the brick shithouse to guard some of these uh, stronger wings uh, on the other team. So. This is one where, again, they could upgrade, I think, reasonably well, but it's got to be someone who's making, you know, 8 million or so or less. So, because I think they would like to keep Cantor and Tyson. and I don't see the, uh, the huge upgraded center there. We'll talk more about that. But, you know, your Reggie Bullocks, your Wayne Ellington's, your Alec Burks. Your Marco Bellinelli, even, you know, might be someone they'd look at. He would, wouldn't would fit in that well. Malik Beasley could be someone I think, you know, if they wanted to re sign him, he would be a nice fit there. Hernan well, Gomez. I'll,
1: I'll add in the, yeah. the dream would be to get what I call a stout wing, somebody who can. Right. Who you can, and those are, for that price range, are incredibly hard to find. And even a lot of the guys, like, yeah. I mean, this is, some people have rubber Covington in that niche. That's not what he does best. Covington is better as a team defender yeah. than as, an, as a one on one guy. And Ogilé might be better than all the reasonably available players. The problem there is that he's so limited offensively that it starts to negate the positives to an extent
0: yeah i mean even just a uh more normal backup four might be someone i would look at too marquise morris actually has been playing okay lately you know you might look at him he does have three million for next year but i don't think they would blanch at that necessarily No, uh, they I do, do have fine with it. they do have bronze extension kicking in for next year we do have to uh, there's actually some concern they do have i mean with all these picks they're probably looking at about six, 7 million over the tax as of now. So they they will need to be a little judicious. They'll probably only have the taxpayer mid level next year. That's a, that'll be a concern. Um, you know, so maybe that 3 million for next year, they wouldn't be so interested in that, but it's also money that you can probably get off of. Um, yeah but it's really got to be guys in that kind of salary range um a, a more dynamic backup point guard than wanamaker um but you won't find someone who's as tough defensively there which is also something to worry about and the backup point guard market here is not amazing you know i don't think they should go to the level of like going after a derrick rose that probably is not worth what it would take to acquire him so i mean it seems like to me though uh that giving up a second and uh, you know or maybe and and Poirier with they, they probably wouldn't mind getting off of his 2.6 million for next year, given those tax implications. So maybe you could throw in a decent second and Poire and, and try to get some of these guys uh, that we're talking about. Um, so I, I think that's the most likely move that they're going to make. And the reason for that is we can talk about it a little bit more now is what the center market looks like.
1: I would say in many ways, Boston's biggest challenge on the center market is that the players who represent a significant enough upgrade for them to target all make too much money for them to actually cobble together. Yeah, and,
0: and th- there might not even be available either.
1: Right. I mean, so yeah, I mean, you could imagine somebody like, theoretically, Stephen Adams could, could be a part of that. You know, you could get somebody like that, but he makes too much damn money. And Gordon Hayward, is having a nice year. He becomes exceedingly complicated in terms of trades because of that $34.2 million player option for next year. I expect him to pick that up. He could play well enough where that becomes a different sort of conversation, maybe in line with Harrison Barnes, where you decline it and get paid less per season than that option but you get locked in a couple of years with his injury history maybe he's okay with that but remember yeah. that the 2021 market for teams that are available and space that's is available is so much more robust that it would probably like Harrison Barnes last year try be Hayward leveraging his current team and I don't think Danny Ainge can get leveraged that way like Vladdy DeVots did
0: yeah also I think maybe just due to perception issues but from all the conversations that I've had indications are that he wouldn't be available and there isn't really the big fish making so much that I, mean, I don't think it would make sense to trade Hayward for, you know, say a, a Steven Adams type, um, you know, one conception that's been tossed around for seemingly years is Marcus Smart for Miles Turner. I think the way Smart's shooting the ball, he's actually a more valuable player than Turner and has a more valuable contract. So well, and, the and, replacement
1: value is right. so is so yeah. different. I mean, I I really like Miles Turner. I've been I've been beating that drum for years, but there aren't many Marcus Smarts in the world. Yeah. And if this shooting is is real, and I mean we're getting into the larger sample, then then I mean how but there aren't there just aren't that many guys available. So and yeah, I mean then they just don't have that many. So here are the players on Boston making more than ten million right now. Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Kemba Walker, that's it. Because Tatum is still on his rookie-scale contract. Jalen Brown is untradeable due to the poison pill provision. And then everybody else, actually, if you get to that, then you're $5 million and less, which is incredible.
0: Yeah, and there were thoughts earlier in the year that they might try to aggregate together Cantor and Tice. You know, you could bring back about a, close to a $15 million player that way, but I don't know especially because there's two of them (laughs) I'm not sure who you're bringing back there at the center position who's going to give you more than those guys especially because they kind of each have their own strengths and weaknesses and you know it would be awesome if there were someone that they could get on the market to guard Joel Embiid I I mean this they might be an interesting Tristan Thompson buyout destination uh he would give them another element he's a little stouter defender um you know he's been a good post defender I don't know if he can handle Embiid necessarily but they might lurk around on the buyout market and see what else is there. They don't have anything though in terms of, of exceptions. I mean, I think they would like to get just another center in the mix who's a little stouter than Tice and also can defend better than cancer as well but um i think that's probably all i've got uh, on them uh, unless anything of um you know maybe like an each Moore more from the pelicans might be someone they could look at uh, bullock would be in their price range uh, but yeah i mean it really seems like backup wing who is just more reliable than some of the guys they have is gonna be the primary target
1: let's jump to the the third competitive team in this division the toronto raptors the raptors the defending champions are 7.5 million below the luxury tax. They do have a couple of trade exceptions, 2.5 and 1.6 million, and a little bit of the MLE that of course cannot be used in trade, but it could they could sign somebody if they open up a roster spot. And the Raptors have all their own firsts and no extras, but they do owe their 21, 22, and 24 seconds, so that makes it a little harder. And it they are maybe the hardest team for me to figure out in part because they could be really aggressive and Masai Ujiri has that justified burnished resume for doing so but do you move Serge Ibaka Marcus instead of just seeing worth seeing where things go especially when they wouldn't want to take on anything beyond next season because they want to keep flexibility for 21 when theoretically Giannis might be available
0: why did Bradley Beal have to extend <laughs> <laughs> like this trade season would be awesome if it had been for that. And just as a general proposition, I mean, there's so, like, there's so many teams that actually really have holes and like could potentially be contenders and probably are really trying to upgrade. But the combination of so many ha- changes having happened last year that their teams don't have salary to trade out and there not being that many players available, there not being that many contracts that are bad money on the book uh, for salary matching on, on some of the other teams and uh the bad free agent class nobody trying to get off of money I mean there are teams that really you know like the Celtics if they could just get one more really good center like they might even be a contender you know and they're just and they have the assets they i'm sure they would love to make a deal they just it's the market just isn't there you know and and it's a or the the matching salary just isn't there it's just it's kind of a bummer really um you know we thought maybe the raptors would be out of it and perhaps uh, the celtics might get into it for Gasol. It might trade hayward but you know that's not going to happen now uh cal lowry it can be traded he's got that 31 million extension that he signed but that was not a long enough or large enough raise extension to where a trade would be prohibited uh and lowry another guy who certainly could help teams i mean our other problem here is that because there's these six good teams in each conference there's not that much separation there between those teams but then you also have everybody and their brothers seemingly still in it for the eighth seed because you know seven and eight really aren't that aren't that great compared to most years so uh all that means that we've kind of got this quiet deadline. That you know we've spent uh, approximately. Uh- 90 hours discussing now but um yeah i think uh for this team what do you see as what they're trying to do here now
1: i mean my assumption is that van Vleet will resign so then the I, I mean how exactly we define his role but the the ball handler or the future type of thing isn't as pressing though it could be worth we kind of worth pursuing they he, they had added stanley johnson and ronde and the returns on that have been at least to be a little bit mixed so i i don't know like i, I think that they're pretty well put together and the Raptors have this tough situation where the thing they might need most is if they traded anything else replacing that guy. I think it you know, considering the scrambling that because of how late Kawhi and Danny Green made their decisions, I think, you know, I, I think that the Raptors are pretty well set. What do you identify as as needs for them?
0: Yeah, a lot of it just uh, I mean center they're set. Point guard they're set. I think just for emergencies, one more pure point guard type who can just give you a few backup minutes in the playoffs even actually for the rest of this season so you're not running van vliet and lowry into the ground that might the, again be a, a, more of a buyout candidate, more along the lines of like jeremy lynn that they had last year uh and then you know they've got the backup wing brigade with mccaw hollis jefferson Terrence davis and some of those guys have played better than expected but you they're not exactly playoff tested but uh, as you mentioned this team realizes I think that it's not about this year they'd love to make it in the second round I think and, and have a nice showing but there's again because I don't think there's anything they can do to get into real championship contention this year I mean they might you know matchups are are matchups they might match up pretty well against Philly due to the Gasol factor but ultimately i'm probably gonna you know we'll see where they end up in terms of the seating they, they can win around i think they'd be happy with that but it seems more like the buyout market and maybe just w- one more veteran wing piece um and i i wouldn't be giving up any real young assets here because uh, as you mentioned it's really about finding the next superstar to pair with siakam and, and things are somewhat on hold there they've been very good when everyone's healthy this year but i, I still don't see them as a championship contender and i don't know that there's a move that exists to do that so you know maybe all right if they you want to give up a a second this year's second for example which you know to be the 53rd overall pick yeah fine you know you go ahead and do that and try and upgrade but uh, aside from that i don't foresee a ton of motivation here and you know as far as like who's going to use Kyle Lowry I mean you know Miami could certainly use him there they're hard capped I mean I'm sure that you know the Clippers would love to have him but I don't know that any of those teams have the ammo to where it's worth number one making yourself a lot worse these next two years or potentially for stalling some trade options this summer and trading away you know maybe the best overall player in franchise history for you know a first rounder from the clippers like that just doesn't seem like it's worth it there
1: The one other possibility i'd like to mention is and i would be surprised if masai ujiri was not kicking the tires on potential norm powell trades powell is one of only two raptors that have potential guaranteed money for that 21 season if he has that 11.6 million dollar player option and i think teams broadly speaking are being too reluctant to take on money for that season just because there are a lot of great free agents but a lot of them are going to strike out and there are more ways to use cap space than signing superstars but if if Toronto could get out of that without really sacrificing as much, Powell, Powell has had some strong moments this year. It would make them worse probably, but getting getting ahead of the game instead of being later in it could could end up being there. So I I'd imagine that there are conversations on that, but I don't think they will bear any fruit this point. Maybe they will summer of 2020 or maybe even 2021 trade deadline.
0: Well, and they really need Paul and he's good. Yeah, he's uh, we talked about how his his contract has fluctuated so much over the course of his career, but right now it's looking pretty good so but I mean, but
1: at the same point you know, if you could you know if if you could get out of it free and clear i think at, just because of the possibilities that opens up you might you, want you to.
0: would just dump him I, w- I, w- I wouldn't do that
1: i think I, i'd consider it i would have to think about what the piece uh,
0: because uh, i mean i'm not sure what those possibly they, they are slated to have 58 million in space in the summer of 2021 right now and i mean if you get there and he's still on the books you can always stretch him or trade him if i mean unless and, and also hurt.
1: well the fair yeah. point there also is that there will be so many Teams probably with cap space that dumping trading him will be more palatable than it would be, let's say, this year when there just aren't that many teams.
0: I I mean, Adam, it's hard to imagine that unless he gets hurt, he wouldn't be at least rotation caliber.
1: Yeah, so more than that, so maybe like five million in dead salary if things don't work out, rather than eleven. Yeah, Yeah,
0: and also, hey, you know, you really need him for right now too. True. So I, I I would, I mean, unless someone really offered me something sexy for him, which isn't going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, if it was, so you want to offer me a a first rounder for Norm Powell? You know, that's something I I would think about, but I I don't know if that deal is out there either. yeah. And next year, you know, they're I, I mean, the one thing to watch maybe is, you know, you take if Van Vliet leaves next year, you take his 17 million dollar cap hold off the books. I, I mean, I think they're going to want to re-sign him and, and the price for him will be a very interesting thing to monitor. But they could actually have 24 million in space next year. Um, I mean, they might be interested in just trying to move Stanley Johnson's 3.8 million for next year, but that's probably easier done in the summer it doesn't seem like he is uh particularly worked out there so far he's got the player option for next year uh you know van vliet again uh, are you gonna get something so major for him that it's worth moving um he's probably you want to keep him around through his next contract Uh, you can do that and still probably have enough room for uh Sorry, his name's a little too long for that that uh that whole fake coughing, saying the guy's name thing. (laughs) But uh, uh, yeah, and we'll see. They'll probably their summer. They might get some clarity on whether Giannis uh is going to resign in milwaukee or not
1: but uh, the 2021 class will still just have guys available as it's looking yeah. right now
0: so. yeah it will but but i mean he is the superstar that you're like okay we got to keep this open for i mean they right. seem to have some belief maybe just due to their kind of international flavor of their team that you know, they would be more appealing to him than some other teams but you know bucks win the championship and he signs the designated player veteran extension and, and they win 68 games this year yeah you know all right let's uh let's uh, anything else on these guys I think I'm ready to move on to New York
1: yeah and I'd like to do the Knicks before the Nets because the Knicks are more compelling as a deadline team They're actually should be we'll see how much a seller the Knicks have 20 million below the tax and they have a little bit of their MLE left but again that's only for signing guys not for trades and struck out in the off season in the early going and signed all of these players, very few of them, basically only Julius Randle, to sig- significant 2020-21 salaries. So the major question for the Knicks is, how much value can they get for the Marcus Morris's? Taj Gibson's of the world, and what are they will what what are the terms of those trades? So, are the Knicks willing to take on money for next season? Probably. Are they willing to take on money for 21? We'll see. And those are huge swings because even though, as has been discussed, and I'm going to write about this more too in the near term, that there aren't that many bad long term contracts. I feel like the Knicks could be amenable to taking some of those just because they don't have that much on their books and all that but so so the Knicks have two interesting things one is all of that expiring or semi-expiring salary the other is now would be a useful time to make decisions on some of their young guys except that they probably don't have enough intel on some of them like Dennis Smith because of how this year has gone injury wise
0: yeah there is talk that some teams like Detroit for example are interested in Smith it does seem like the, the Knicks uh, things have soured there um, you know smith said he didn't want to be moved but i think there's some indications that that he might be interested in that uh and what would your price be for Smith? Are you doing it for a second rounder at this point?
1: I would say a strong second. So not, you know, one that I would expect to be in the top 10 of that second round. Yeah, that that would do. It yeah.
0: For me. I mean, and Smith, when you've got Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson, very, very difficult. And R.J. Barrett. I mean, those are three kind of non-shooters who are all the maybe the three biggest pieces of the core here in New York going forward. Smith is not a good shooter himself. He really needs the floor spread to try and uh, attack off the dribble you know he he would look much better i think in a place like detroit um certainly you know has struggled with his injury issues and just may not be good we'll see uh he's kind of seems like he's on the emmanuel mudier career path uh, at this point which uh, of course included a stop in new york um marcus morris though i mean he is probably one of the more coveted guys Part of the problem, though, is the Lakers and the Sixers are both teams that could really use him, might struggle to cobble together the salary. Certainly, you would think the Clippers will be in on him. I mean, it it seems that Morris, to me, is... I, I don't know if he's the most likely player to get moved because that's probably like Nene, but he's probably the most likely real player to get moved at the deadline i would say
1: there isn't much of a reason for the knicks to keep him non-bird rights could be enough to retain morris but he doesn't make sense with where their team is going and if you could get value absolutely do it
0: yeah well the the only reason might be so scott perry and steve mills don't get fired and they play a little bit better uh, un- yeah, i mean they've be. had like this slight renaissance under mike miller so maybe they just don't trade him just so they look a little bit better and dolan doesn't fire them that might be only reason i think they would hold on to him also i.e. E, not helpful for the franchise
1: <laughs> the the knicks could really use more assets they're going to need a ton of bites at the apple they have their own first plus those dallas 21 and 23 first though so those are looking a lot worse now that the mavericks are potentially 50 win team already and the knicks owe their 2020 and 20 21 seconds but they do have charlotte so that takes a little bit of the sting out there and they just need you need more opportunities that that is really a part of this and for the knicks when you consider how their young player, you know, they have Trier and Dotson are pending restricted free agents. No Keenan Smith, only have one more rookie scale year after this one. And then beyond that, it's only really Knox, Barrett, and Mitchell Robinson. So they need more guys. They just need more opportunities, more potential superstars, all of those sorts of things. So really, even if a late first isn't going to probably get you that player, at least it gets you an opportunity, get you a cost controlled resource. But what I wanted to do with you, I think Marcus Morris is clearly number one. Do you want to rank Portis, Gibson, Ellington and Payton, so the, all those guys, the most any of them has guaranteed, and let's do Bullock as well. Sure, all of those players have a maximum of one million guaranteed for next season. How, if you were an average team, how would you rank those players as desirable trade assets?
0: I think Bullock might be number one, in particular, because of the ease of matching uh, his four million dollars salary, and you know he's well uh,
1: could also be a way for the Knicks to take on some money, which would have some value for teams too. So because yeah. of the ease of the matching rules, maybe you get a player who's taking. Making seven eight million save that team three four that's pretty fantastic for them
0: yeah you, you're talking even for this year or even you know if it's a Vincent Poirier level of salary for next year that's sure. you know it's not going to matter for the next to, to take on uh you know a team that might be looking at tax implications same same thing with Philly with either Mike Scott or, or Zaire Smith and Zaire Smith is someone they might want to now I mean another guy who can't shoot isn't is it exactly amazing um yeah so I'd say probably Bullock number one you know Ellington has had a a struggle of a year with with some injuries Gibson I think could still help some teams as a backup center and Peyton they just have so little at point guard and they've been so much better with him I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they want to just keep him for next year you know he's also of course a a Scott Perry favorite he's eight million guaranteed for next year I mean they and there's not much available on the point guard market this year So I think they might want to just hold on to him. I mean, another non-shooting guy on this team, big surprise. That's not great. But, you know, I I mean, I don't think just Peyton to me doesn't fall into the trade everything that's not nailed down you know just trade him for whatever the hell you can get I mean I do think they want to have another point guard and play a little bit better they are certainly going to have plenty of ping pong balls already Uh, you know I think they want to just have a little bit more uh, to develop and not just be a complete joke at the rest of the year after the trade deadline Portis has that team option for next year but he makes too much money nobody's going to want him he's not really an upgrade for anybody I've really hardly been talking about him at all uh, with this group Um, might even be more a buyout candidate potentially um so yeah i mean i, I think they, they might be able to get a first for morris though a bad first you know a clippers first but uh know, yeah, I, I think that's possible especially because he'll be resignable he makes enough money even though he only has the non-bird rights attached to him uh 18 million a year should be enough to resign marcus morris you'd think um here's a, an idea i have for you i think if i were them i w- might be willing to maybe give up a second for one of the denver guys either Henry absolutely Gomez or beasley
1: oh yeah and, and i think that's the type of move they should make and go out after players who are restricted who could actually make this team younger and potentially better yeah full full endorsement of that and I think it's too early to make a decision on Knox I'm not high on him but the 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 problem with a player who is drafted high is you, you selling low on them just seems premature and yeah it might end up not working out but I think I think you might as well wait
0: yeah uh damian dotson i don't know how the organization feels about him it has uh, some three and d chops plays hard restricted free agent after this year i think you just keep him around uh, hope that he continues to develop uh, squeeze his salary down and restricted free agency alonzo Cheers is also going to be a restricted free agent this season he will be arenas limited i don't think that's going to matter um but his, his actual qualifying offer might be high enough that they're not interested in giving that to him maybe there's another team that wants to get him into their system as you know maybe an alec burks light type of guy um if they're and his fit here is not amazing with barrett and some of the front court guys that they have and he's played little this year maybe the thought is he'll play more after the deadline and they move some of these guards but uh maybe there's another team that's interested in him and, and might be willing to give up something of nominal value so that might be something to think about there um yeah i mean i think a lot of this too is just clearing guys out so you know they can get a look at iggy bros dicas and and Dotson and Trier and, and some of these uh, you know so maybe it'll end up being buyouts for the guys that they can't move. Brooklyn you ready for them? Yeah
1: the the Nets are six billion below the tax they do not have any available exceptions and they owe their own first to the Hawks if they make the playoffs. And then they have beyond that they have all their future firsts. Plus they get Phillies in 2020, assuming they make the playoffs, which they will. And the Nets have a bunch of seconds going in both directions. The best one that they have coming to them is Atlanta's in 2021. They're in such a weird position because this is pretty clearly building towards the 20/21 season when Kem Durant returns. And I think Marks would like to improve their 2020 playoff odds if it's not too costly in terms of assets. The problem is that is a difficult proposition when. Th- It seems like the Nets don't really have that much that they're looking to move on their roster. You know, Joe Harris is their biggest expiring contract, but they want to keep Joe Harris. They're going to re-sign him in the summer. Garrett Temple has that team option. I think they want him on the team next year. So just even constructing trades for the Nets is difficult. And that's why I put them last, even though they're obviously better than the Knicks.
0: Yeah, and their tax situation is you know sean mark said yes we are going to pay it and that is correct i mean without joe harris they are right at the tax next year and i presumably they want they want to resign him i think that he's someone who you're gonna have to pay for overall though i mean i think and it's been pretty stark in some of their games that they've played of late especially against philly they've played a couple of those games in the last couple weeks where they just desperately need some more strength and athleticism uh, at kind of a combo forward position i don't think kd is going to be able to provide that i mean in theory he starts at the four but you don't want him guarding the best wings you know torian prince uh, you know he's uh, not really strong enough lavert you know can't be traded as of now but certainly you would think that maybe he gets moved for that type of a player uh but this team is just not gonna be able to stop anybody probably you know at a real high playoff level they just don't have the level of physicality and in the playoffs the just let them shoot as many jumpers as they want lay the center back strategy isn't going to work that well i mean you see just like what ben simmons has done to this team for example both in the playoffs last year and this year so uh they just need some more heft and athleticism i don't think that's coming at the trade deadline particularly because the Levert can't be traded so I I do expect this team to be making some moves in the summer uh Spencer Dinwiddie is not going to get traded because he's the guy who brought Kyrie who brought KD. You know, that's the one guy you might be thinking oh we'll sell high on. DeAndre Jordan is not going to get traded because again the, the personal aspects of it and they're just going to soldier on with a weird Kyrie quote every 3 days and they'll get completely destroyed in the first round of the playoffs and then we'll see what happens here in the summer.
1: There have been extended times this season that I've wondered where Kurics was in the rotation. I've I liked him a lot last year and I don't think now is the time to to move him unless somebody is you know really high on Kuroks and thinks they can they can do something from it. Probably with him and Musa, just kind of keep it moving along. And then if hopefully they pop, and if they don't, then maybe make a move later on. But they're cost controlled each of them for another two seasons after this year. So just, I think that's just kind of the way it rolls.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if someone if someone wanted to take Kuroks and offered you a nice second for him, maybe you would consider doing something like that, but doesn't really seem that way uh you know that they would you be trying to make any moves to get better this year maybe get uh, some kind of a combo forward they're another one of these teams that doesn't have any matching salary.
1: It's it's so hard for them to do, and there's going to be such a, a crush for those players. Maybe Brooklyn could be another, I mean, we've talked about them a lot on, on this particular podcast, of those pending restricted free agents like Wancho, just another look. He's not the defensive forward that I think they need most. But if they're willing to pay the tax, I don't think, especially those restricted free agents are going to get leveraged. That could be could be a distinct option. But yeah, I would like to see a, you know, that that strong wing, another, another thing that I think they need need badly and if Durant I think he's going to profile more as the like the parallels of LeBron here that he's going to be more of a power forward than the lead defender of wings moving as we look into the future so then they need somebody to fill that I do not think Torian Prince is the answer that's part of why I didn't like that move for the Nets once they got KD but I don't know who that player is that is that is obtainable with what the Nets have to offer right now maybe that's the player you get for Karis LeVert if you move him in the summer
0: yeah I mean I think either this summer or maybe even next trade dead line is when they try to rebalance this roster just a little bit and yeah you know on the buyout market they might have some just they have no money to spend in the buyout market other than minimums because temple got their room exception so yeah. All right. That's about all we got here on the Nets, I would say. Uh, don't forget to check out Hollinger Duncan. If you have not yet done so, I think it was our best episode. We really get into it on what happens at the deadline, all of the negotiations, why teams may not be working with as good information as we might think that they are. Uh, just uh, I learned a ton. It was my first chance ever to really grill an executive or a former executive and ask them every question that I always wanted to know. So I learned a lot. Hopefully that means that you guys will as well. Uh, anything that you need to talk about, Danny?
1: Yeah, a couple things. Uh, I wrote a piece for The Athletic explaining the term that I'm using is kind of the second MLE. It's how teams with expiring money that have enough flexibility under the tax next year can trade an expiring for somebody who can help. That piece is out now and also look for the next collaborative piece in the series that I'm doing with Seth Partno and Sam Vecini. It is on the Miami Heat. It's looking right now like it will be published on Wednesday. It might be a day later, but I'm guessing it'll be that. And It's, it's a lot of fun we get into some get into some real arguments about where the heat are and where they're going
0: all right we'll talk to you all tomorrow night uh should be a fun episode tomorrow little uh zion williamson he's gonna start apparently for the Pelicans. should be interesting talk them at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar